Hello and welcome to Student Affairs Live, the online learning community for student affairs educators. I'm your host, Keith Edwards, filling in as guest host for Heather Shea. My pronouns are he, him, his, and I'm a speaker, consultant, coach, and you can find out more about me or connect with me at keithedwards.com. Today I'm connecting with three folks who, or we were supposed to have three folks, uh, one of them wasn't able to join us, uh, who have experience working to improve policies on campus for transgender students. We welcome your comments, your questions, and participation. Follow along on the back channel and tweet to the hashtag HigherEdLive. Thanks to our team behind the scenes helping out with the back channel today. In a moment, I'll introduce you to our two panelists who have joined us today. But first, I need to acknowledge and thank those who make Student Affairs Live possible. Part of the Higher Education Higher Ed Live Network, and you can tune into episodes with regular hosts Tony Shea, or Heather <laughs> Shea, and Tony Duty on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern. If you're unfamiliar with past episodes, we highly recommend that you check out and favorite the archive link that we're tweeting out now. Higher Ed Live is produced by M. Stoner, a marketing and communications firm that works with education institutions on branding, strategy, web design, and more. Are you looking to improve your institution's digital marketing strategy and execution? To be successful, today's higher ed marketer must make data-driven decisions and connect digital performance back to strategic and financial goals. Educate your entire team on the latest digital marketing strategies and trends on December 6th during M. Stoner's Digital Marketing for Higher Education Online Conference. We'll be tweeting out a link to learn more about the conference shortly. Student Affairs Live is also exclusively sponsored by ACPA, College Student Educators International. ACPA believes that Student Affairs Live is one of the many ways you can be innovative with your own professional development. Program proposal notifications are out and registration is open for ACPA 18 in Houston. We're tweeting out a link where you can register today. So on to our show for today. Transgender college students face many barriers within institutions of higher education. Student affairs professionals can be key to not only helping transgender students learn to navigate these barriers, but also in working to remove barriers through policy change. Today, I was hoping to be joined by three folks with experience doing this. Kendra Malone was not able to join us due to an illness. And we had previously invited Cindy Ann Kilgo, who was not able to join us due to a family issue that had come up. Uh, we'll be discussing changes we can make in the individual level in our own practice, changes in the policy at the department or institutional level, and broader change in institutional and societal culture. So I want to begin uh, by inviting our panelists to introduce themselves. You can view uh, our website for the full details and bios that we'll be tweeting out here in just a little bit. Uh, so I want to begin by inviting Jenny Beeman to go ahead and introduce yourself and share with folks a little bit about you. Sure. So I'm Jenny Beeman. I am the director of the Stonewall Center at UMass Amherst. Uh, I'm also the Trans Policy Clearinghouse Coordinator for Campus Pride. Do a lot of speaking and consulting around trans inclusion and co-wrote the book Lives of Transgender People. And I'm currently working on two other books, one anthology, one a, a textbook around trans students. Well, thank well, you. Thank you. I'll turn it over to Jenny Lindley, who can go ahead and introduce herself. Hi, everyone. I'm Jody Lindley. I'm an assistant professor of higher education and student affairs at the University of Iowa. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. Um, I worked in student affairs as a student affairs educator for more than 10 years before jo joining the professoriate. And uh, that practice is really valuable to me as an educator today. Um, I teach courses on college student development and on issues and policies in higher education. 
uh, and I co-led the initiative at the University of Iowa to um, change our student records policies and practices to be trans inclusive. And I'm happy to be here today. Thanks. Thank you to you both. Um, well, we wanted to start off, you know, we didn't plan it this way, but uh, yesterday uh, we had some trans folks who were elected to public office. Danica Rome was elected to the House of Delegates in Virginia and here in Minneapolis where I live. Uh, Andrea Jenkins uh, was elected to city council uh, as a trans uh, person of color. Um, and we also have heard, I don't know that we have the name, uh, but someone was elected to school board, um, a trans person was elected to a school board in Erie, Pennsylvania. So we kind of want to acknowledge um, what happened yesterday and the news and the current things. Um, some of these folks are being cited as the, the, the first, um, but uh, Jenny was, was sharing with us earlier that there's a African-American trans woman elected in the 90s um, in Massachusetts. So I wanted to uh, acknowledge these significant uh, events going on and, and congratulate these folks for, for their elections and now their service, uh, but also wanted to recognize some of the history to that. So uh, any, either of you wanna comment on, on that or, uh, or add anything to that? They're saying they're all good. So, all right, great. Uh, well, with that, we'll go ahead and, and we'll jump into our questions. We, we kind of broke this down into um, how, how we can uh, create more inclusive campuses for transgender students uh, through the individual, our own individual actions, and also through how we change our department and institutional policy. And then finally, how we change the culture of our institutions and the cultures that we are a part of. So we're gonna start with this first part about what we can do as individual student affairs educators and practitioners, and just our everyday practice to better support transgender students, and really all students. So uh, I'm gonna open this up, and I, I think, Jenny, you have some suggestions for what some of the folks listening might be able to do to be as inclusive as possible. Sure, so I think student affairs practitioners in our everyday practice really can play a key role in creating a culture of asking and respecting pronouns on campus. Now, not everyone is going to feel comfortable sharing their pronouns in all settings if, if they're not out, but it's important to give students the opportunity to be able to indicate their pronouns, and I think those of us in student affairs can play a really important part in this in terms of advocating that pronouns be visible in administrative systems, be on course rosters, but beyond the administrative systems, but putting it to practice, having pronouns in our email signatures, have them on our name tags, asking pronouns when we have the myriad of meetings that we go to, going around and having people state their pronouns if they wish to. We really need to start getting that as common practice to be giving our pronouns and giving other people a chance to indicate their pronouns. So that's an important part. I think also recognizing where we have a gender binary and trying to eliminate that. For example, it's inappropriate to have gender titles for events or, or pageants or for homecoming. We shouldn't be having homecoming king, homecoming queen. We really should be eliminating those titles or some campuses have pageants where they have Miss so-and-so or, or Mr. so-and-so. That, that is really exclusive and we need to eliminate those and change that language there. We also need to take gender off of, of forms where we don't need to be asking gender. And that's most of the time. For housing, we need to be asking, we should be asking gender identity, for example. We should, we should make sure that we're taking off gender, but also at the same time adding 
chosen name, adding plants, people to be able to indicate that on forms, and not be saying preferred name or preferred prone because it's not a preference. I, I continually see people using that language, and it's really offensive to trans people because how we name ourselves, how we gender ourselves, is not a preference. It's who we are. So please stop using the word preferred. And I think I'll end there. Jenny, can I follow up with a little question? Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things I'm struggling with is I want to be using pronouns, uh, I want to share my pronouns, want to do that, but I've also been in a situation where doing that, I, I have later found out, has led people to outing themselves in ways that they weren't really ready to do. So one of the challenges I have is how to be inclusive and, and normalize this, just as you're, you're suggesting, without putting people in a situation where they feel pressure to share something that they're not quite ready to share. And so do you have suggestions about how to navigate some of that? That's a challenge that you mentioned. It is, and it's certainly a balancing act because there are students who want to make sure people do not misgender them. There are students who are not comfortable being out. I think setting up a climate where you're making it clear that people can indicate their pronouns if they want to, but that's not something that is expected of them. And certainly if someone, if you're doing a go around in a class or a meeting and, and someone doesn't share their pronouns, don't be saying, oh, you forgot your pronouns, right? I've seen that happen. You know, if someone doesn't say them, maybe they did forget to include them, especially if they're cisgender, you know, this is something they're not used to doing. And so it's not like something that comes easily to them necessarily. But if someone doesn't say their pronouns, don't be pushing them to, to say them. Um, I, I know I talk to students who don't feel comfortable being out in some cases, in some classes, but they would rather have that chance to decide for themselves. Do I want to indicate my presence here? Do I want to have that agency? Uh, I want to have that agency and not give it to somebody else to misgender me. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah, I think one, of the, one of the things I've tried um, in introductions to, to do that is say, you know, we'd like you to introduce yourself, share your name, share your role. Um, and share anything else that's important to you, and then myself sharing my pronouns. This is what it open up space for that, but without making it necessary that everybody has to do that. Yeah, that's good. I think it's really important that we model this for our students, that we be giving our pronouns, putting them out there so that people feel more comfortable, and it, it makes it less strange for people who are not used to it. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jenny, for those suggestions. Uh, Jody, what, what do you have to share with us about how student affairs educators can, uh, can integrate things in their everyday practice to make uh, our campuses and, and our interactions with students more inclusive? Yeah, gosh, I agree with everything that Jenny um, recommended. And I'm glad to hear you two have this dialogue about um, how do we normalize without calling people out or putting people on the spot to out themselves, because that is a major issue um, that I continue to work on as a faculty member, especially. Um, a few other things come to mind for me. Uh, one thing is um, auditing our materials. So in student affairs work, we use websites, brochures, you know, lots of print materials. Oftentimes those materials are peppered with gendered language. And if we can audit our materials, um, and uh, use our editing functions to be able to improve those materials um, to engage, for example, gender neutral pronouns like they or Z instead of he or she, um, then I, I think that's a really good um, first step. Uh, there are also a lot of really great resources online to um, 
help folks who perhaps are going to push back against they or Z to understand uh, how um, uh, pronouns, just understanding the concept of pronouns and how pronouns like they or Z um, can be very affirming. Um, another idea that comes to mind for me is uh, providing feedback about cis-normative practices. Uh, so I have uh, seen a lot of speakers in student affairs work, higher education at large, who use binary phrases like, um, welcome ladies and gentlemen, hey guys and gals. That's, um, I don't know, that I find it offensive and, and uh, it just promotes a cis-normative and binary concept. So um, providing some feedback in ways that are supportive to people can, can be really uh, productive and, and help folks uh, be aware of something that perhaps they're not aware of in the first place. Um, at the same time, it's really important that we remain open to feedback when we screw up and, and have to commit to engaging in better practice on, on a on daily basis. Um, another thing that comes to mind is about the, the physical campus. Student affairs work happens all over campus, right? So um, getting to know the campuses where we work and the physical structures that do or do not support trans students is really important so that we can be ready to talk about those structures. Um, so a powerful example from my own campus at the University of Iowa, uh, our Admissions Visitors Center, which is where um, prospective students and their families come to campus to start their, their official campus visit, that building does not have a gender-inclusive bathroom. So until there is a gender-inclusive bathroom in the building, um, I think that it's really important for admission counselors to first know where the nearest one is, and then to include that in their introductory remarks with all visiting students and families. So not um, trying to single out students or to guess students' gender identity, but instead to normalize and um, always make it our practice. You know, we always talk about the, house the, the housekeeping um, welcome remarks when we're presenting. Part of that housekeeping might be, you know, if you need to use the restroom and then point out all of the restrooms, including the nearest gender inclusive one. Um, another idea that comes to mind is a student affairs book club. Uh, I don't know about y'all, I am a big nerd, I own it, I love reading, I love talking about what I'm reading. Um, I definitely encourage people to purchase books that are by and about trans people. Ginny mentioned their upcoming book. Um, one of my colleagues from Michigan State University where I did my PhD, Eric Pitcher, has an upcoming book about trans faculty. Um, another book that uh, ACPA, um, I believe, sent lots of copies of this book to Texas legislators in preparation for the convention in Houston this spring. Um, purchase these books, um, and I, I really want to emphasize the purchase them so that the authors uh, get to have some of the financial benefit of the books, um, but also then read them and engage people in dialogue about them. Um, so use these books in, in your student affairs book clubs or your reading groups that you're a part of. Um, Keith, I also wanted to speak specifically to faculty in student affairs and the instructors of some of the student affairs, student success kinds of courses where student affairs practitioners are the instructors. Um, two things feel important to me as an instructor. Uh, first, the class roster. So if your class roster includes students' pronouns and names, study that roster, 
and then use students' pronouns and names. You know, we have decades of research in our field that, that has shown us that faculty have a big influence on student success. And we're talking about people's humanity here. So if, if you have the gift of a class roster that includes names and pronouns, then follow up on that responsibility to understand them and to use students' names and pronouns appropriately. Um, the second idea as it relates to the classroom is about the syllabus and about pedagogy. So finding ways um, to audit your own syllabi and, and your own teaching strategies and lesson plans to identify where are there opportunities to diversify the readings, the perspectives, the media, in-class activities, that sort of thing. Awesome. Well, well, thanks thanks to you both for talking about some of the ways that we can do better in our own practice and our everyday practice. And Jody, I really love this notion as, as Jenny was talking about not using preferred uh, and some of those um, urges, uh, but to really name this as we're talking about people's humanity here. And I think that really um, is a powerful shift um, in honoring people and how they identify um, is super helpful. Um, but we are not just individuals on campuses. We all have positions of influence and power, and some of us lead departments or lead institutions and having different scopes of influence. Um, so we're going to shift now to talking about some of how we can change the policies in departments and institutions to be, to be more inclusive for all students, uh, and particularly trans students. And I just want to name this. I think uh, we're not necessarily talking about just being more inclusive for transgender students. We're talking about things and policies that make the campuses better for all students uh, when we when we do this right. So um, I think we're gonna invite Jenny back in to uh, share some suggestions for policies uh, that can shift to make uh, campuses more inclusive. Great. So in my research, what, what I have found in talking with trans students is their biggest issue is around the lack of gender inclusive restrooms on campus. That pretty much any campus where I've interviewed students, they tell me that there just aren't enough. So that we as student affairs people really need to be pushing our campuses to be creating gender inclusive restrooms, changing the signage on single user men's and women's rooms to make them gender inclusive, to be whenever we put up something, renovate something, make sure that we're including gender inclusive facilities as part of that. But beyond that, also looking at our, our multi-user facilities and trying to change some of those to be gender inclusive uh, by changing some of the fixtures in there. So you don't want a, a urinal, for example, in the gender inclusive restroom. But it's so important. So many of our students don't have access to the basic facilities. And, and how, do you, how do you live a, a full life if you have to always be worried about where you're going to find a bathroom where you're not going to have to worry about being harassed or assaulted. Um, campuses also really should put in place a policy when it comes to gendered bathrooms to limit the gender policing. Um, we, a few years ago at UMass, got uh, the university to adopt a, a bathroom policy that basically says people can use whatever facility they feel safe is most comfortable using. And basically, no one has the ability to tell someone they're in the wrong facility. Does it happen? Of course. But we have been trying really hard to educate staff and faculty and to the extent we can students to make sure they recognize that they shouldn't be challenging someone in a restroom unless they're doing something clearly illegal. Like if they're harassing people, look at people, taking photos, videos. Yeah, those 
want this to be dealt with by someone's just using the place, you know, they'll be challenging their access to it. So I think that's one important piece. The other important piece that I hear a lot from students is around housing. You know, kind of basic issue. You've got to have a place where you can pee in peace and a place where you can sleep. Um, if campuses need to have gender inclusive housing, but I think we're, we need to move beyond simply just having a, a limited area of campus where trans students can live. We really need to open up our campuses and for trans students to be able to live wherever they want to, as well as for other students. You know, you mentioned Keith about this is not just serving the needs of trans students, really serve all of our students. If students can live off campus with whomever they want to live with, why are we on campus telling them they have to live with someone of a particular gender? That's just really inappropriate and, and like, we should be out of the business of being parents of, of students. They're adults, they should live with who they want to live with. So I think the best practice that, that I have seen uh, that I recommend for campuses to do is to make sure the housing form gives students the ability to indicate their gender identity. And then you ask, do you want to be housed with someone of your gender identity, whether that's a uh, cis man, cis woman, trans man, trans woman, someone who's non-binary, or do you want to be in gender inclusive housing where you could be assigned a roommate or roommates of, of any gender? Because one of the problems with gender inclusive housing that I have seen is that it's great for trans students, but other students who are not trans, often opt into it because they, they want to be supportive. But if you're a trans guy, you may want to live with another trans guy and not be assigned just anyone. And so it's important that we give trans people the ability to be housed with people keeping in with their gender identity and not just limit them to whoever they get selected to live with. So that's why I think it's really important to, to do it that way so that we make gender inclusive housing for everyone and also give people the ability to indicate they want to live with a particular gender. So I think I'll, I'll end with that. All right. All right. Uh, thanks, Jenny. I, you know what? I think um, I, I think most of us can see uh, behind your shoulder an all-gender restroom sign there on your bookshelf, and and I think one of the things that um, that that I learned in in working at McAllister in, in campus life was. Uh, how powerful it was to shift away from gender neutral as the term and all gender or gender inclusive, which I had never thought about until we started having that conversation. And then once you think about that, the, the term gender neutral just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. whatsoever. Or, or gender expansive, right. But yeah, we're not trying to neutralize gender. We're trying to be expanding and be more in inclusive. Absolutely. Right, right. right. So it's, a, it's just another reminder about how powerful some of the naming and what we call some of these things can be, uh, not just for people uh, who identify as transgender, but in the, in the learning and the education of, of cisgender folks as well. So, well, Jody, you've got some suggestions here about what we can do in terms of uh, policy change. So let's, uh, let's get you in the mix here. Okay, sounds good, thanks. Um, you know, I think the first thing I wanna do is actually take a step back and uh, point out that not all institutions include gender identity or expression in their non-discrimination statements. Um, and that's a really important starting point. Uh, so especially for institutions that are situated in states that do not protect gender identity or expression in their state level um, non-discrimination policies. So, so that feels important to note. Um, another idea is to consider making trans-inclusive education a part of all new faculty or new staff orientation. Um, 
I know a lot of institutions have, have uh, implemented safe zone trainings that have specific workshops um, that start with maybe like a trans awareness 101 and, and you can work through a series of workshops to really um, grow in your own education, awareness and skills uh, as an advocate for trans students. If we could start that process with new staff or new faculty orientation, I think that um, that's a policy that, um, that would allow us to enact some real change on campus. Uh, another idea is um, a collaborative task force or a working group um, that could meet regularly, that can discuss and come up with ways to address trans inclusion on campus. Every campus is different. So working collaboratively with the people at your institution um, is where I think we have the capability to put a lot of our energy. Uh, what that looks like at Iowa, um, a year ago, our chief diversity officer established um, what she called a trans inclusion task force and charged one faculty member and one staff member to co-chair that initiative. Uh, and it's composed of trans students, staff and faculty, um, staff from a variety of student affairs units, and also um, even clinicians from the local LGBTQ health clinic. Um, so thinking, Ginny uh, uh, just used the word expansive, thinking expansively about, you know, who, who has influence and ideas and energy to um, create more inclusive campuses, pull those people together and, and let's get some energy, some synergy working in that direction. Um, it also feels important to note a real caveat. Um, I mentioned at Iowa, our trans inclusion task force includes trans students, staff, and faculty. We have to be really mindful and careful about taxing or overburdening trans um, individuals in doing this work. Uh, so a question you might ask yourself, how is the work of equity and inclusion valued in um, the annual review process for faculty or staff, um, or for faculty in the tenure and promotion process? How is that work um, counted and valued um, in the work that we're doing on campus? Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a great caution, and I think that often happens um, on issues of transgender inclusion, but also other inclusion. I think this is a, a great. We we also have to make sure that as we're we're focused in and dialed in on being inclusive of trans students and addressing transphobia, that we're also mindful of other forms of oppression, uh, not kind of sneaking in and taking over, and other privileges and other forms of dominance. Um, as we get focused on some, that often happens. We get focused on this form of oppression, and then we we kind of let slip our attention to others. So really, paying attention to the intersectionality. Um, and including that as you're thinking about who do you invite to these task force and these committees don't want to overburden certain folks but we also want to make sure that we're we're bringing lots of different lenses and perspectives which also isn't is not just inclusive but it also brings a lot more ideas and a lot of different perspectives and a, and and can be really beneficial to what we're we're trying to achieve um, well, you've given us so many things to think about at individual and the policy level, but I think, you know, all of this is kind of in the context of the institutional culture or the, the state culture that you mentioned some of the policies. Uh, it, it's very different in Massachusetts than it is in Iowa, than it is here in Minnesota, than it is maybe in, in all the many different places folks might be tuning in or listening to, to Higher Ed Live uh, today in the U.S. and beyond the U.S. Um, but uh, how do we begin to shift some of the culture, some of the the air that we're breathing around some of these issues so that um, changing the culture makes 
uh, more inclusive environments for everybody, but it also makes some of these policy changes a little bit more easy. It makes some of the individual things we're suggesting. It gives a little bit of permission and some normalcy. How do we begin to make some of that culture change? And I think, Jody, we're going to go back to you with some suggestions here about how we might begin to do this, both how we can do that and some of the strategy as well. Yeah, okay, that sounds great. Um, I guess first what I want to do is sort of dial back to a couple of things that you said, Keith. Um, just uh, to, to sort of advance the idea that you were just talking about, it's really important in thinking about a societal or a cultural shift that we avoid thinking of trans people as a monolithic identity group. Um, trans people are incredibly diverse and as higher ed and student affairs educators, we have to be better about understanding the complexity of human identity and how, um, how individuals' multiple identities interact and intersect. So thanks for bringing up that point. Um, I also want to go back to, you know, at the beginning of the episode, you mentioned um, the election results from last night. And I think that that is something that's really important to speak to as well. So uh, I guess what I would say is we have to find ways, all of us, to be engaged in our local communities um, in ways that allow us to support trans inclusion off campus as well as on campus. Um, so I was thrilled this morning to learn about the election results from last night. Um, Andrea Jenkins being elected to Minneapolis City Council. This is amazing. Danica Rome being elected to Virginia House of Delegates. The really important thing there for me that is so exciting is that she unseated the delegate who introduced the Virginia bathroom bill. Mm -hmm. That's a huge win. And um, it, for me, I feel hopeful today about um, a societal shift in a way that I haven't for the past year. Right. Well, and I just, I'll, I'll interrupt you real briefly, but I heard the, the quote this morning uh, was, uh, how do you feel about your opponent who did this and had this bill that you recently defeated? And the newly elected person with a lot of grace said, well, I don't speak poorly of my constituents and he is now one of my constituents. Mm. I thought that was just a great, great way to respond and, uh, and begin moving forward. So. Go ahead, please continue. Um, okay, uh, so the last thing that I want to mention is um, a resource uh, put out by ACPA. So this monograph, can everybody see this? Um, if you aren't already familiar with this resource, I highly recommend it. So this ACPA monograph is called Developmental Pathways to Trans Inclusion on College Campuses. Um, what I really like about the monograph is the structure, the organization. So the recommendations that are in you know, these many pages are organized around individual, organizational, and systemic development. And acknowledging where we are as individuals, how we enter the conversation and the work, um, is really uh, attended to in the individual level recommendations in the monograph. And then as we think about our work on campus, the organizational and the systemic developmental pieces, um, there's just a ton of really great advice to consider. Um, so I strongly encourage folks to uh, access the developmental pathways monograph. Great, thanks for that. Uh, another great resource, and uh, appreciate that. And I think we're going to get a tweet out here with a link to that, where people who are ACPA members can access that, and others can can order that. But uh, Jenny, what suggestions do you have about how we can and we can change culture? Well, Jordy mentioned the great work done at the University of Iowa having the committee to, to look at trans inclusion. I'm, I'm an Iowa alum, I'll mention as well, so I'm a little, little biased there towards, towards Iowa and the work that they do. But 
really it's important that institutions create such a task force or, or group that includes senior administration that reports to senior administration. Here we developed a, a bathroom and restroom working group that included uh, myself and uh, top administration people to look at how we can do better with our facilities for our trans students. And one of the things that came out of that was with the support of the chancellor's office to go around to every department on campus and educate them around our policies for trans inclusion when it comes to bathrooms and restrooms and making gender assumptions and asking pronouns. So I, I spent a good chunk of my last year doing presentations for every, just every academic department on campus and process about 75 different departments, going around to student affairs, facilities, auxiliary services, doing more than 100 presentations to educate people about our policies and practices so people were doing what's expected of them. I think it's so important that we do that kind of educational work to be going to where the into faculty meetings, into staff meetings to do because we're not going to necessarily come to something you do. We need to move away from having what some schools call safe zone, safe space. And I don't like the word safe. I, I, I think that's really uh, an appropriate word to use because you really can't have, have safety. But uh, even calling it allyship training, which is, I think, better, um, that, that's great, but it doesn't really address the issue because you have a handful of people on campus who are, who are quote unquote, trained, who are coming out as being allies. That's important, but it, you can't end there because that doesn't change the climate. We need to, as Jody mentioned this as well, we need to be going in and talking to faculty and staff where they live, going into those meetings and having those conversations with them and not expecting uh, them to come to you. So it's really important to have institutional support to go to meetings to be educating people around trans inclusion. So I think getting institutions to buy into the importance of a required training around trans inclusion is just really, really important if we're going to really try to change the culture of the climate on campus. Also in trying to educate folks around pronouns. I mentioned that when I did these presentations, that was a, that was a big part of it as well. But really trying to create, again, a culture where people are asking pronouns, giving people would indicate pronouns, and respecting those pronouns. Uh, University of Iowa here has done some great work as well. I have a wonderful video that people check out on YouTube where people at the institution, including the president, give their, their pronouns. Um, University of Maryland this year has embarked on a really fantastic campus-wide campaign to educate everyone on campus about pronouns. They have a really great video. They've, they've put out uh, buttons and, and messaging across campus. Uh, during uh, convocation, all the incoming students were, were in an auditorium um, and on the, on the big screen up, up they had uh, a message about pronouns. We're really trying to educate people about pronouns. Uh, one of the things we're doing here is that we're having pronouns on course rosters next year. Uh, we're gonna sit down with all the incoming students and have them make sure they put their pronouns into the online system. So we have that sort of education that goes on at that moment and getting students to believe indicate their pronouns, but we'll have pronouns then for, for most of our incoming students, and then as we progress, we'll have them for most of our students. Um, University of Iowa is the only college in the country that asks pronouns on the application form, the admission form, which is really wonderful. So you have that for all, all students, but if you can't do that, you should definitely be making sure that you're giving opportunities to indicate their pronouns uh, 
through the online system that the university uses. Great. Uh, thanks, Jenny, for that. Uh, you mentioned a couple of things that the University of Iowa do, has done. And uh, thankfully, we have some from the University of Iowa here, right? <laughs> so uh, Jody, I'm wondering if we can turn to you. Uh, Jenny has sort of uh, bragged about the University of Iowa and some of the things that you've done. I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about how some of those things came about. Because I think there are probably quite a few people watching and listening who are thinking, this sounds great, but how do I do that? How do I, you know, that sounds like a great change. How do I do that? So could you tell us a little about some of the how behind some of the things that happened at Iowa? Sure. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. Um, and also at the same time, I want to plug an upcoming article. Um, so Cindy Ann Kilgo, who was going, who was scheduled to be on the Higher Ed Live, who I'm standing in for, um, when they were a doctoral student at Iowa, I was um, their dissertation chair, and we worked together in collaboration to um, apply for grant funding and then facilitate the initiative at Iowa to change um, student records and applications. So uh, we have an article coming out in the Journal of College Student Development. Um, I believe it's coming out in a couple of months, beginning of this next calendar year, uh, about the process that we engaged to, um, from beginning to end uh, to, to see that initiative through. Um, well, I know that Twitter just gave some people 280 characters, but it's too bad they can't get the technology to tweet out things that aren't yet published. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, well, I'll give you a quick preview, though, because sure. I do think that the process is really, it, it's different campus to campus, but um, some of the important elements that we took into consideration might be transferable to other campuses. Um, so one really important element was that uh, we adopted what um, lots of trans scholars call the trickle-up um, approach to diversity and inclusion work. And uh, when, you know, really it all started in an advising meeting um, when I pulled up the University of Iowa student records system and came to the realization that there was nothing in our system that allowed students to, um, in, in one place, indicate to faculty, staff, advisors, you know, the, all the folks who access student records, uh, what pronouns they use and if their name was different than their legal name. Um, and so really it started with an observation and awareness of a, a, a problem in our student record system. And um, I'm an ACPA member, as is Cindy Ann. And when we received the um, annual announcement for the, um, at the time it was called the CLGBTA, Coalition for LGBT Awareness, um, within ACPA. Um, the coalition has recently uh, changed their name. That's why I mentioned that. Mm -hmm. uh, we got the call for proposals, for grant proposals, and decided to put in a proposal um, in partnership with a staff member in the chief diversity office at the university. Uh, basically, around the idea that we were going to uh, work with IT folks to try to improve the student record system. That was the initial idea. Uh, after the grant was awarded, which was outstanding, we were um, really grateful to have the financial backing from the coalition. Um, we reached out to central administration at the university and said, hey folks, we got this grant and we really wanna pursue these changes. So. 
uh, we're going to start this process and, and are excited to do this work with um, and for you all. And at that time, the president of the institution um, basically said, you know what, I think we can use that money in a better way. How about if the university absorbs all of the expenses to make the IT changes and you all use the money for education purposes? So the video that Ginny mentioned um, was actually uh, recorded and produced because of this grant that we got from the Coalition for LGBT Awareness in ACPA. Um, having institutional leadership support made all the difference. Mm. As soon as the president said, I um, am prioritizing and endorse this initiative, the provost then said, how can I help? Um, so our provost, um, well, now our former provost, is featured in the video and also um, put together, uh, we helped craft an email that the provost sent out to all faculty at the university about um, how to access uh, course rosters with students' names and pronouns, how to understand the changes in the student record system online, um, and then uh, even giving faculty tips on what to do in the classroom um, and pointing people to lots of resources. So there was, it started with a trickle up approach and then it, it became a trickle down approach. Once the president was on board, um, other folks were just expected to um, follow through on the commitment and uh, provide the human and fiscal resources to make it happen. So we engaged in, uh, it was about an eight month long process, meeting regularly with uh, the ITS, Instructional Technology Services staff, to understand um, what, what can they do um, in their system and um, how can we work within that system to provide the most expansive understanding of gender and gender identity um, possible. Uh, so a, a large working group came together to um, figure out what we wanted that to look like. Um, and then at the same time, we started moving towards what's now the Trans Inclusion Task Force. Uh, and that group started working on things like auditing restrooms, like Ginny recommended. Um, we now have a, a trans inclusive restroom um, map, an interactive map on the university home homepage um, that came out of uh, this initiative. Um, we also met with the Office of Admissions and started talking about the admissions application and how uh, we wanted that to be more inclusive. Um, we also met with the registrar's office. You know, iPads requires, the federal guidelines are such that um, they require institutions to report enrollment data by sex and only in a binary framework. And um, gosh, that's really really problematic. So we met with the registrar's office to talk about, you know, there are these requirements um, based on federal policy, but how do we as an institution want to collect and use data that are true for our students? Um, so it was really about uh, just sort of growing the network of people involved in the process, um, engaging a lot of support around campus, and uh, uh, moving forward and seeing the changes through. Great, I think that's that's super helpful. I think there's, you know, I'm I'm sort of 
feeling a little overwhelmed myself with all of these uh, possibilities and all these changes that could be made. And I think uh, having some conversations about how we can go about doing that. And I just love this notion of the the trickle up and then that leading to trickle down. I think that has applications um, for this issue and many others, right? That's a, that's a great, great way to think about that. Um, Jenny, I want to I want to shift to you. I'm 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 kind of thinking as I'm trying to manage all these ideas and suggestions. Um, I'm reminded of when I was doing a lot of sustainability work. Uh, similar, to people would be so overwhelmed with all the things they could do, and really trying to focus in on you know there are things that are easy to do and things that are hard to do, and then there are things that don't make very much difference and things that make a big difference. And uh, I'm wondering if you can help us identify the things that are relatively easy to do that also make a big difference, the things that are relatively easy to take on but will have a big impact so that folks who maybe are on campuses that haven't really done much of anything uh, can really make a big impact. Uh, and then maybe you can shift into suggesting, you know, campuses um, like yours uh, and, and no small part due to your leadership that are really sort of pushing the edge and really doing some of those things that are a little bit deeper. Um, any thoughts on that? Sure. In, in my research and, and also research I've done with, with other folks around what what do trans students need and want, um, some of it is more difficult. I mentioned about about restrooms and about housing. Um, those require a lot of effort. The misgendering part, which is sort of the third big issue I hear from students, that's something that, that is, I think, a bit more manageable in terms of that is it does require facility change, require attitude change. And so getting people to not be making gender assumptions about someone, that someone looks a certain way, so you're going to use he or, or she or, or Mr. or Ms. or Sir or Ma'am and be misgendering people. So getting into the practice of not making gender assumptions about people is something we can do on a daily practice. And that's really having to overcome ways we didn't socialize. So we're socialized to be using those titles, to be saying thank you, sir, or thank you, ma'am, or to be using Mr. or Ms. as a form of politeness, which, you know, it's great to be polite, but you can, be, you can just say thank you. Don't just say thank you, sir. Um, I just got done going shifting to what you, the second point you made about, about campuses. Um, I just got done doing an article that appeared in Advocate about 10 top trans supportive colleges. They called it the top 10. I call it 10 top, recognizing that a lot of colleges are doing some great work, and I don't want to just single out 10 schools, but they call it the top thing. They want to, you know, make this like the, the be-all, end-all list, like a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. um, but looking at, at that list, and it's, it's mostly universities because they tend to devote more resources toward um, trans inclusion and also uh, have a lot more policies in place and than, than smaller colleges may do. They may do things more informally at, at, at smaller colleges. Uh, you know, you, if you need to get your name changed, you just go see, you know, Sue in the in the registrar's office, right? You don't need a policy to make that happen. But so one of the things about that list that, that, I, that I always that I find intriguing is is how do the schools get to be so great when it comes to trans inclusion policies? And what it comes down to, in my experience and what I have seen, is you need to have someone whose job it is to make sure that campuses are going to be trans It doesn't happen on its own accord. And you really need someone whose who job is doing LGBT student services work because they're the person who's going to be there, 
doing this work. Students will, will graduate, so having students do the work and have them be involved is great, but having them do the work is really problematic. And Jody mentioned as well about overtaxing our trans students. They need to be involved, but we can't expect them to do this work. They don't have the same level of access that, that we oftentimes do. So we need to be doing this work and we need to make sure that someone is designated at a university, even if you don't have an LGBT center, that someone is designated at the college or university to be doing this sort of, of work. Because it, it takes some persistence to make some of this stuff happen, especially like around changing policies and changing facilities and, and such. And also the other commonality that I see in looking at those schools is not only do they have someone at the schools who is doing this work, but they have someone who makes that this, their mission. That not necessarily a trans person, although oftentimes a trans person, but someone who says, you know, I'm not going to take no for an answer. You know, I'm going to keep pushing until we become trans inclusive, until we have this policy in place. I want to keep at it. You know, it took, I'll, I'll share the story. When I came to UMass 12 years ago, I got turned down for anything I wanted to do around trans inclusion. We were a great school when it came to cis LGD. Trans people didn't care. And it kept pushing, I kept pushing and pushing and pushing until I finally I made some headway. And, and frankly, some administrative people retired. Uh, or moved on, so that helped a lot as well. But it really takes a determined effort to get some of this stuff to happen. So you really need someone who's going to be really pushing for this, not only that there's someone in the role, but someone who really is going to make this uh, like their mission to make changes happen. Mm. Uh, Jenny, I so appreciate your passion coming through here, and, and it's inspiring to see the, the energy you have and the passion, and also to see, uh, to hear your, your wisdom, too, about what has worked on campuses and what brings things together. Um, we've just got about, about five minutes left before we'll, we'll sign off and let people move on to some of the other things they're doing. Uh, but I'd love to hear first from Jody and then, then to Jenny. Um, what suggestions do you have uh, to people who are watching or listening? Uh, you know, they've heard all these conversations, they've heard these suggestions, they've heard Jody your, your wise suggestions about some of the strategy and how things work, and and Jenny's and Plash and Plea here about how how important this is and how it how it needs someone who takes it on as their mission and connecting to humanity. Um, what would be some next steps you would have for people, or some suggestions, or maybe some 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 cautions? Jody, any anything come to mind that you'd like to to leave folks with? Sure. Um, yeah. So I feel like we've covered a lot of the um, you know what are those next steps or for some people first steps. I think what I want to do is um, sort of shift gears a little and invite people to um, be introspective about who you are, how your own identity has evolved over time, um, what that means in the ways that you understand identity development in our college students today. Um, I teach college student development and have a unit on trans identities. And it's really interesting to me to hear a lot of my students say, gosh, you know, this is, this is brand new for me. And um, I think I'm going to take this reading in particular uh, to my supervisors so that we can talk about it. And folks who got their master's degrees in student affairs from, I'm going to call my generation of student affairs folks, we didn't have the literature, the research, the resources at our fingertips that um, today's 
professional preparation programs have access to. And I don't know, I think that means that for those of us who are um, not still in a classroom, we need to <clears throat> get back in the classroom, so to speak. We need to get, um, push ourselves to sometimes uh, unlearn and sometimes relearn or learn new information. And um, this is definitely an area around trans identities and trans people where I feel like a lot of folks in my generation of student affairs um, and above, uh, I don't want to wait for people to just retire, although that certainly works. <laughs> um, we, we need to be educating ourselves. No, I, I really appreciate that and reflect that. And, and Jenny, I'd love to, to hear your thoughts. But we, we did get a question via Twitter that maybe um, maybe one of you can speak to. The question is uh, particularly around uh, academic institutions with medical and dental schools. How can they, what kind of things can they be inclusive for patients and students? So I don't know if you have thoughts on that, Jenny, or, or just other, other suggestions. Well, I, I can speak to that as part of my, my, my thoughts in general, which are, Trans students feel very marginalized, very isolated on campuses, and we need to really try to help them feel more included, more part of the institution, and feel like they belong there because we lose so many trans students who drop out of college because they don't have the support. We need to really be that support person where we can for students. It makes such a difference to have someone who they know they can trust who is going to be supportive of them and also working with our trans students to help them find find community um, other trans people on campus online resources support networks because so many of our trans students don't have family don't have family of origin that is supportive of them we, we need to put, help provide that community for them at our institution and in terms of of our clients or, or patients if we're working um, in, in, a, in a field that's professional medical field, we need to recognize that oftentimes trans people have experienced horrendous treatment from medical professionals or by therapists. And so we need to make sure that we're doing better because there's already a lack of trust there because if they haven't had negative experiences, they certainly have heard other people, friends of theirs who have had negative experiences. And so you're, you're, you've got a history there that you have to overcome. And so it's really important that, that you doing the best you can to be supporting students or patients or clients is how they identify themselves. So having to find out how they identify and then supporting them in that identity and affirming them as individuals. Wonderful. I want to thank uh, Jody Graff for the question about medical and dental schools and, and, and bringing that in. Well, thanks to you both so much. I want to thank both of our guests today and, and, and Kendra Malone and, and Cindy Ann Kilgo who weren't able to join us. Uh, and thanks always to our program sponsors. Uh, please join us for future episodes of Higher Ed Live. You can learn more about these and other episodes by subscribing to the Higher Ed Live newsletter. You can also review past episodes by browsing archives at Higher Ed Live or subscribe to our iTunes podcast. Uh, I'm Keith Edwards, uh, guest hosting for Heather Shea. Uh, thanks for watching, everybody. We hope you make it a great week. And uh, one final thanks to both our guests for, for your wonderful wisdom and experience and insights. Thanks so much, everyone. <laughs>